Suddenly, one of the crows belted out a staccato of cause. Langlu opened his eyes, touched Patrick on the leg, and softly said, That's an alarm. There's a predator nearby. Come with me. Aye, I, I can smell it, Max growled. Patrick's heart started pounding, and he swallowed hard as he picked up his gun and followed his uncle down the path. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind, you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you Chapter 10 from the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, entitled A Voice in the Wilderness. And in honor of the occasion, my esteemed colleagues, Max, Nigel, and Liz, are uh, uh, on location. <laughs> they've, they've gone somewhere deep into the untamed wilderness of a place we'll call Outer Backyardia. But we should be able to stay in contact through two-way radio. Base command to Braveheart. Base command to Braveheart. Do you read me? All right. Knock it off, lad. We're on a camping trip. We're not on Mars. Roger that, Braveheart. Liz, who's Roger? Give me that, Max. Uh, Monsieur announcer? Uh, no, that's... Excusez-moi. Uh, base command? Yeah. We uh, oui, over and under Roger Dodger blah blah blah. Uh, what do you want? Well, how's the camping trip? Over. Over? No. We are just getting started. No, I, I meant... I know what you meant. Uh, uh, allow me, my pet. Uh, gladly, Nigel. Uh, Monaco to base command. Do you read me? Roger that, Monaco. What's your 20? My 20? Uh, well, I have two fives and a 10. Will that do? Uh, never mind. I need a status report. Over. Over? Well, but we're just getting started. Well, anyway, suffice it to say that the situation here is intense. No, it isn't. We don't even have any tents. Uh, somebody forgot to bring the tents. Uh, what are you talking about, then? I got me tent right here. Max, we cannot all fit in there. Uh, why did you bring such a small tent? Well, it's me pup tent. I got it when I were a pup. <laughs> well, what were you expecting, then? Besides, Mousie here said he don't be needing a tent. Indeed, I simply need a soft covering of dry grass, weeds, and such, thus getting in touch with my ancestral roots, for I come from a long line of field mice. Well, that's great, Nigel. So apparently I am now stuck uh, sleeping in a tree or something. Over. Over? I thought you were just getting started. Roger that. Liz, who's Roger? Uh, this is base command. So now, uh, what provisions have you made for food? Uh, food? Well, in my case, I shall use my nocturnal instincts and keen stalking abilities to prowl around for something I can prey upon. <laughs> you? What are you going to do? Sneak up on a can of tuna fish? <laughs> well, what do you fellas plan to eat? Well, of course, I'm not a big eater, uh, not more than half my weight in a given day. Uh, but, of course, with my refined culinary palate, I shall require... Just about anything that will loosely be considered edible, oui, mon ami? Indeed. Ugh. Uh, what about you, Max? I'll just live off the land. Really? And just what does that entail, mon ami? 
<laughs> I just need to find something with meat and meat byproducts. Uh-huh. Like what? Monsieur announces leftover meatloaf from last night? Ooh. There'll be leftovers? Perhaps. Uh, Monaco to base command. Monaco to base command. Over. Roger. Uh, no, it's Nigel. Uh, anyway, as I previously stated, the situation here is intense. Over. Over, for now, anyway. I'll check back later. Base command, over and out. Again, those were the voices of Max, Liz, and Nigel, somewhere in Outer Backyardia. Now, back to our story with... Chapter 10. A Voice in the Wilderness. Patrick opened his mouth to speak, but Uncle Langlu quickly silenced him, holding a finger to his mouth. The big man then slowly lowered his hand to the musket leaning against his leg, closed his eyes, and listened. They were crouched down, hiding behind a dense thicket of green brush in a shady cover of the canopy of hardwood trees. Beyond them was a babbling creek, and all around them the forest was alive with activity. A mosquito buzzed around Patrick's ear, and he slapped his neck to kill it, frowning as he looked at his fingers. The mosquito had drawn first blood. Patrick wiped his hand on his brown breeches and watched his uncle intently. He had quickly learned there was always a reason for even the smallest actions his uncle made. Since Langlu spent so much time with the Indians, he had learned how to stealthily blend in with the forest. He knew what he was doing, and was well equipped to protect them. On his belt, Langlu carried a hunting knife and a hatchet. Draped over his shoulder were a carved powder horn and a leather satchel. For a week now, he had taught Patrick how to load and fire his gun. Always keep your powder dry and your gun loaded and at the ready at night, Pat. They hunted deer, wild turkey, and even possum. Langlu taught Patrick how to clean and prepare their kill, how to build a fire, make a shelter, and even how to make a delicious stew with the meat and some vegetables they brought with them. They slept out under the stars, listening to the owls and the tree frogs. Uncle Langlu told Patrick endless stories of his adventures in the wilderness. He taught him how to tell a good joke, and, of course, taught him how to play his fiddle. Patrick had never been so happy or had more fun. He didn't want this adventure to ever end. Patrick looked at Max, smiled, and put his finger up to his mouth, as had Uncle Langlu. They could hear the distant call of a crow getting closer. Soon it was joined by calls from other crows, all drawing nearer and varying in pitch and sound. Suddenly one of the crows belted out a staccato of cause. Langlu opened his eyes, touched Patrick on the leg, and softly said, That's an alarm. There's a predator nearby. Come with me. I, I can smell it, Max growled. Patrick's heart started pounding, and he swallowed hard as he picked up his gun and followed his uncle down the path. Max stayed at his heels to guard from any threats behind them. Langlu kept his gaze on the path as they slowly crept along. They came to a patch of disturbed leaves in the mud. Langlu squatted down, taking a stick to clear away the leaves. What do you see? The young boy leaned over and saw animal tracks in the mud. Looks like a deer with those two-toe tracks. Not a deer, lad, Max growled, peering.
peering over the tracks with his large head in the way. Patrick smiled and must Max's head to get him to move. Langlu took a stick and pointed to the outsides of the tracks. Good guess, but not quite. See how these tracks are blunt and rounded? Deer tracks are sharp and pointed. This is a wild boar. Pay attention to the smallest details to identify things correctly. I see, Patrick replied, studying the tracks. The smallest details make the difference. His uncle walked on, searching for what he suspected might be in the area. Soon he stopped again and knelt down. This time there were two sets of tracks. What do you see? Patrick took his time and studied the tracks in detail. He wrinkled his forehead and pursed his lips as he thought about his answer. He wanted to get it right. I think this time it is a deer. Its hooves are sharp and pointed. Very good, Pat. What about the other ones? Langlu quizzed him, pointing to the other set of tracks. It looks like Max's paw prints. Is it a dog? Patrick asked, petting Max. Are those your prints, boy? Langlu smiled. At first glance, it does look like Max's paw prints. But let me show you why it isn't a dog. Do you see claw marks anywhere on top of the four small toe prints? No, just the paw pad marks, Patrick answered. Dogs can't retract their claws when they walk, so their toenails make a mark, Langlu explained, pointing to the track in the mud. Max walked over and made some fresh prints in the mud to illustrate. There, now you can compare this one with Max's prints. See the difference? Look at the shape of his large back heel toe. Now, look at the mystery paw print. See how the top of it is squared off and the bottom of it has three rounded lobes? Max's heel toe is rounded like an arch at the top and doesn't have three rounded lobes on the bottom. Yes, I, I see it clear as day. So it's not a dog, Patrick answered. Cats can retract their claws when they walk. Is it a cat? Langlu nodded. A big cat. It's a panther. And it's tracking that deer. The alarm call of the crow back there could have been signaling that this panther was on the ground. Or it could have meant there was a predator in the sky, like an eagle. Crows have at least 20 different calls. So as you study them, try to see whether they're talking about on the ground or in the air. He stood up and wrinkled his brow, looking around them. One thing is for sure, that panther is nearby. Hey, he's about fifty yards away, Max barked, bristling his fur on alert and looking in the direction of the big cat. I think Max can smell it, Patrick said nervously, also looking around. Should we try to hunt it down? No. Never provoke or kill one of God's creatures unless it's for food, but always be ready to defend against attack, Langlu replied. That cat doesn't want to mess with us, so let him be. Just the same, stay close to me and let's head back to camp. We need to get the fire going before sundown. As the humans walked away, Max turned his gaze up to the trees and nodded. Nigel waved from a tree branch, where he sat with his crow friend named Harold, who had agreed to be his transport for this hunting excursion. "'Well done in sounding the alarm about the panther, old chap,' Nigel told the crow. "'I'm quite relieved Patrick and his uncle have averted an untimely meeting with that hungry feline, 
although Max is standing guard on the ground, it's best if he also can avoid tangling with the tiger. No problem, Nigel, Harold answered, fluttering his wings to stretch his feathers. Pardon me, but my crow is a little rusty. Uh, besides announcing the panther below, uh, what was it you were telling your fellow birds of a feather whilst we were in flight? Nigel asked. Oh, I had to explain to my friends why I had a mouse on my back, so they wouldn't try to eat you, Harold answered. We'll eat anything, you know, but since you're working for the maker, you're off the hook. Nigel grimaced and smiled nervously. Yes, I see. Very well. Uh, uh, thank you for preventing that most distressing scenario. He climbed onto the crow's back. Uh, shall we follow them back to camp? Sure thing, Harold answered, taking off. That panther is still around. Look down there, nine o'clock. Nigel looked down and saw a panther slinking through the woods, but in the opposite direction of Langlu, Patrick, and Max. Oh, dear. I do hope that big cat keeps walking the other way. He leaned over and patted the crow on the shoulder. That's a good chap. Uh, keep sounding the alarm. While Langlu gathered dry wood, Patrick dug a fire pit about two feet square and one foot deep. He then took two heavy forked sticks and stuck them in the ground on either side of the pit. Max brought him a third heavy stick that he placed on top of the forked sticks to finish their cooking rack. Thanks, boy. That should do it. Patrick stepped back to wipe the sweat from his forehead. He then quickly slapped another mosquito that was about to bite him on the arm. <laughs> now that's one of God's creatures. I think it's all right to kill whenever you see one, Langlu said with a laugh, dropping a pile of wood. I hate mosquitoes, Patrick complained, examining his arm for bites. But they must love me. Why did God have to make mosquitoes? Langlu nodded, stacking the larger sticks in the fire pit, while Patrick placed some dry scrub brush and tiny dry twigs around them at the base. I don't think mosquitoes bit before man was tricked by that snake in the garden. Otherwise, Eden wouldn't have been much of a paradise. Patrick laughed. <laughs> Speaking of snakes, I keep expecting to see one in the firewood, like the one that bit Paul. But I haven't seen one this entire trip. Aye, Max barked. I were too late to get the snake that bit Paul, but that'll never happen again on my watch. Little did Patrick and Lang Lu know that the reason they hadn't seen any snakes around their camp was that Max had gotten to all of them first. Lang Lu smiled and took out some flint from his satchel. He struck it a few times to ignite a spark onto the scrub brush and carefully blew the small flame to get the fire going. Nature doesn't appreciate us invading its territory. The Indians taught me that. They respect all of nature. The fire started to crackle and the inviting smell of the burning wood mixed with the scent of the pine trees around them. The smoke will keep those pesky mosquitoes away. The burly man stood and pointed to the smoke mingling with the growing evening mist. Always wait to build your fire until the mist comes, so you won't give away your position to other unwanted pests, the human kind. Patrick sat with his arms wrapped around his legs and watched the rising smoke. That's really smart. Did the Indians teach you that, too? Langlu stoked the fire and added a few more sticks until it grew hotter. Yes, they've taught me many things. They are an intelligent, ancient race of people, and they were here in America long before the white man. 
there is much to learn from them. But before you can learn from them, you must earn their respect. Treat them well, and they will respond in kind. I thought they were all savages until you started telling me about them, Patrick confessed to his uncle, poking a stick into the fire. I've heard the Indians have done terrible things to white men out on the frontier. That's the problem men have of judging people who are different from themselves based on the actions of a few who have acted like savages, replied Lang Lu, sitting down with a grunt next to Patrick. If you don't take time to see for yourself and get to know those different from you, you can't possibly understand them. It's easy to misjudge others. Worse yet, men make it convenient to misjudge sometimes. All men are capable of doing evil to others, no matter the color of their skin. That's one thing that makes all men equal. We're all fallen sinners and will bite others, just like the mosquitoes. Patrick nodded thoughtfully as he listened. I've never thought about it that way. I've heard Father and Uncle Patrick talk about how the rich Tidewater types don't understand the people out here on the frontier. They think we're not as good as them because we don't dress or act like they do, Patrick said. Aye, and I bet those uppity breeches say they play the violin while ye only play the fiddle, Max grumbled. Lang Lu chuckled softly and leaned in. <laughs> if you ask me, I think those fancy breeches types look silly with their powdered wigs and frilly shirts. I'd hate to live like they do, trying to impress people all the time with their social rules. He held out his arms with his dangling fringed buckskin shirt. I like the way I dress. I'm comfortable, and I can move easily out here in the forest. I'd like to see one of those fancy britches try to survive one night out here in the woods. <laughs> I agree, Uncle. I don't care about all those fancy clothes. Patrick and Langlou shared a laugh. But remember Mr. Gilliman, who brought my fiddle to the festival? I really liked his red cloak. Killiman's the best-dressed goat there ever were, lad, Max cheered with a happy whine. Well, it's more important to be comfortable in your own skin, Langlu offered. If you are confident about what you believe and think, men will care more about what you have to say than what you wear. But learn to appreciate the opinions and ways of others. You don't have to agree with them, but always hear them out. Earn their respect by trying to understand them. Then you'll earn the right to be heard. But be ready to back up while you believe the words you speak. The fire popped and sparks shot up into the air. Lang Lu and Patrick sat silently for a moment, staring at the fire. Patrick pondered all these things, slowly petting Max. Lang Lu stood up to put an iron hook on the cooking rack and then hung a small cooking kettle full of hearty stew. He stirred the stew with a wooden spoon and then sat back down with Patrick. It's kind of like tracking, Patrick responded. Every animal leaves its own mark that tells us about itself. But people leave their mark in how they act. That bully at the St. Andrew's Day race left a bad mark, so no one likes or respects him. No one would want to follow him anywhere. And I guess it's like how birds communicate, too. They have different voices that may sound like gibberish, but they really are saying something. If you want to understand what the crow is saying, you have to understand what he is seeing. Is that right? Harold and Nigel sat listening in a tree above the campfire. I have to give it to the boy. He's almost as smart as a crow, 
Harold cackled. Nigel rolled his eyes and put his paw over the bird's beak. Please allow me to hear Uncle Langloo's response, old boy, he whispered. Langloo slapped his hand on his knee. Exactly, Pat. Listen and learn about what is important to others. Pay attention to what makes people react so they will pay attention to you. Never lie or twist your words. Indians can instantly tell if someone's words and actions don't match. Always speak truthfully and honestly, even if it's not what others want to hear. But learn to persuade those who see things differently than you by touching their hearts as well as their minds. He handed Patrick the spoon. But also keep your mind open to learn from others, as long as it doesn't go against what the good book teaches. There's a lot of different things in that stew, but when all those tastes come together, it makes for good eating. Langloo took a twig and put it into the fire to light his pipe. There wouldn't be squash or corn in that stew if it weren't for the Indians teaching the white men how to grow it, nor would there be tobacco in my pipe. On the order of the seven, introduce the Indians to the white men, Max thought with a wide grin. You're welcome for the tasty stew, then. Patrick stood up and slowly stirred the stew. Uncle Langloo had a way of explaining things that made sense. Sometimes I don't know what to think about things. Father and Uncle Patrick think one way about the church, but Mother and your father Isaac think another way. I love and respect all of them, but who's right? Langloo puffed on his pipe for a moment to think about his response. Sometimes it's not that doing something is right or wrong, but how it's done that causes the most conflict. Just because people disagree about how things should be done doesn't mean they are any less passionate about it. He leaned forward on his knees and gestured with his pipe as he spoke. Both sides of our family believe in Christ, but disagree about how to worship him. The Indians and the white men both love this land, but disagree about how to live off of it. Indians respect the forest and don't want the land cleared of trees. White men want to clear the trees so they can provide food and respectable homes for people. Indians think there is already plenty of food in the forest. The white man clears the land to then raise plants to feed cows, pigs, and chickens to then kill for food. <laughs> to the Indians, the white man's way is wasted energy and work. He paused and took another puff from his pipe. In order to find out what you believe, learn all you can about all sides of the issue. Educate yourself. Listen to others. Above all, ask the good Lord to guide you to the right course, and he will. But at the end of the day, you must find your own voice, Pat. Max looked up to the trees and shared a grin with Nigel, who clapped his paws together. Ah, brilliant! This is just what we were hoping to hear. I was hoping to hear them play the fiddle again, Harold crowed. I like that music. Patrick didn't answer his uncle, but lifted the spoon to taste the stew. He shook his head. The stew's not ready yet. It needs more time to cook. He sat back down cross-legged next to Langloo, poking the fire with a stick. <laughs> kind of like your voice, Langloo chuckled warmly. You're young, lad. That kettle voice of yours still needs lots of ingredients put into the pot. Give it time. Young Indian warriors have to do the same. And when they figure things out, they get rewarded. Let me show you something. He got up and walked over to his leather satchel. 
he took out a piece of cloth and unfolded it to reveal an eagle feather. Patrick stood up, and Lang Lu put the feather into his hands. The boy held up the feather to examine it in the glowing light of the fire. A real eagle feather! He ran his hands along the soft white quill tipped in brown. There's an eagle's nest near the creek at Studley, but I've never got close enough to see a feather such as this. Indians revere the eagle above all creatures and treat it with awe and respect. They believe that of all the birds, the creator chose the eagle to be the leader. It is the master of the sky because it can fly higher and see better than any other bird, Lang Lu explained. They believe the eagle's perspective is different from that of any other creature because it stays close to the creator in his realm of the sky. What a splendid analogy for any God-fearing creature, Nigel enthused. Harold made a gagging, cackling squawk. We crows like it better close to the ground where the action is. High flying makes us too dizzy in the head. <sighs> Clearly, Nigel murmured under his breath. For Indians, to hold or wear an eagle feather because they are hard to come by causes the creator to take notice of men, Lang Lu continued. Whenever someone receives an eagle feather, it means they are being shown gratitude, love, and the highest respect. Indians receive them for acts of bravery, but they can only be earned one at a time. Patrick's eyes got wide. One at a time? I've heard Indian chiefs have big headdresses filled with these feathers. Langloo nodded. Yes, I once saw an old Indian chief who had won enough honors to have a double-trailed bonnet of feathers that reached the ground. An Indian would rather part with his horse or even his teepee than lose his eagle feathers. That would dishonor his tribe. How did you get this eagle feather, Uncle? Patrick asked, in awe of the story. Did you do something brave? Langloo smiled. I helped some Indian friends defend their camp from an attacking tribe. You see, even the Indians fight between themselves. But this is what I want you to learn, Pat. Indians communicate their thoughts, their ideas, and their history through symbols, such as this eagle feather. Sometimes such an object can say more than a book's worth of words. Patrick pulled the eagle feather through his hand as Langlu jumped up onto a stump, making sweeping gestures with his hands and speaking with a booming voice. The Indians also use hand motions to tell stories of their battles and victories. Act things out, Pat, and learn to project your voice to grab the attention of your listeners. Sometimes it's not just what you say, but how you say it, Lang Lu explained. He jumped down from the stump. I have no doubt you will figure out both the what and the how with your voice and your actions someday. Patrick wrapped his arms around Lang Lu for a hug. Thank you, Uncle. I hope so. He handed the feather back to his uncle. And I'd like to earn a feather one day, as you did. Lang Lu smiled and tapped the top of Patrick's head with the feather. You will, but be patient as you grow up. The good book talks about eagles and waiting. Look it up sometime. And while you're waiting, study that eagle that lives nearby you. I'm sure he could teach you a thing or two. Patrick smiled and nodded. Yes, sir. I'll do that. For now, let's eat, suggested Langloo, tasting the stew again. He tapped the spoon on the rim of the pot and then used it as an imaginary violin bow. 
After supper, you can play your fiddle for me and all the birds of the forest. If I play well enough, maybe an eagle will drop a feather to me as a reward, Patrick quipped. Harold pulled out one of his feathers with his beak and tossed it in the air and shouted with a grating voice, Here, take one of mine. Nigel put a paw to his brow and shook his head at the annoying crow. Langloo squinted with one eye. You've gotten the hang of it, but you're still a little squeaky on that fiddle, Pat. Remember, someday you'll woo lassies with that fiddle. He gave his nephew a playful wink. That alone will be a feather in your cap. Right, then. That will be all for tonight, my good fellow, Nigel said, patting Harold on the shoulder. It's time for me to rejoin my colleague on the ground. Thank you for your assistance today, and especially for preventing your friends uh, from ingesting me. Sure thing, Nigel. Any time, Harold replied, flapping his wings to take off. Ta-ta, Nigel told the crow as he scurried down the tree. He joined Max by the fire to share some of the stew Patrick placed on the ground for his supper. I thought I would try another bird for this wilderness excursion, but I doubt I will ever enlist a crow again. Max snickered. Aye, crows may be smart, but they're obnoxious. Not to mention dangerous. They're a ravenous gang of thugs, Nigel answered. Perhaps I should trade in my crow for an eagle. Our young Patrick was quite taken with the story of the eagle feather. Aye, it may be time to finally meet that eagle in the woods near Studley, Max agreed. Splendid suggestion. Perhaps he would agree to become my new transport. With the height and speed eagles reach, I could cut my travel time in half when I depart for my journey up north to Philadelphia, Nigel replied. But for local travel, I shall likely resume my traditional pigeon transports. It's quite easy to find a flight on a pigeon any hour of the day. The little mouse nibbled a carrot from the stew. I think a dash of cumin, or perhaps some minced garlic, would add a bit more flavor to the stew. Don't you agree? Max laughed at the little mouse. <laughs> Mousy, I think you're more of a city mouse than a country mouse. City pigeons, flavored cooking, books, and violins be more your speed. Nigel preened his whiskers and chuckled. <laughs> I quite agree, old boy. But what do you make of our young Patrick? Do you think the voice-in-the-wilderness objective has been reached with this trip to the untamed frontier? Max stared at Patrick and grinned. Aye, he's gotten to stretch his legs as well as his mind about what a voice should say and sometimes even not say. Now for the lad to stretch his mind. I'm sure Liz will have John Henry right where she wants him. Nigel and Max looked at one another and exclaimed at the same time, in the past. In the past? Hmm. Sounds like our next chapter will head even farther back in time than the 1700s. Meanwhile, in the present, our trusty hosts are attempting to conquer the wilds, much like Langloo and Pat. Well, okay, not much at all like Langloo and Patrick. Let's check in. Uh, uh, base command to Braveheart. Base command to Braveheart. Do you read me? No. I don't really read that much of anybody. Uh, let's be the reader, then. That's not what I... Oui, monsieur, I know what you mean. Uh, you would like an update on our camping trip. Uh, well, we finally got the fire started. Aye. Mousy found some dried weeds and grass, and it lit up real nice. Indeed. Uh, uh, so much for my sleeping arrangements. Oui, but the good news is, we are now going to make s'mores. Mmm. 
For more on s'mores, it is time for Nigel's News Nuggets. Thank you, Liz. Nigel P. Monaco here, and I shall keep it brief. Uh, short and sweet, as it were. The history of s'mores, uh, generally dating back to the 1920s, credited to Girl Scout troop leader Loretta Scott Crew for toasting up the gooey marshmallows and combining them with graham crackers and chocolate bars. Aye, leave it to the Girl Scouts to invent campfire cookies. <laughs> Indeed. And now we shall endeavor to create our own gooey goodness. Uh, where is the bag of marshmallows? Uh, I, uh... I got a wee bit hungry a while back. Max, did you eat us some marshmallows? Aye, oh. uh, but if it makes you feel any better, I dove into them graham crackers too. Oh dear me, I say, old chap, I hope you didn't wolf down the chocolate bars as well. Oh no, lad. Uh, chocolate be bad for we doggies. We kitties too. Indeed, and so the only safe course of action for my fellow hosts is to uh, keep all the delicious chocolate to myself, huh? <laughs> Rather, uh, for Nigel's news nuggets. <laughs> Merci, Nigel. It was so big of you to fall on your chocolate sword for us. <laughs> Aye. So now, let's check in with our author lass, Jenny L. Cody, and find out her question of the day. Uh, so, Miss Jenny, uh, what is your question of the day? Have you ever been camping? Oh, no. That is not what I would call it. Not exactly. If not, I encourage you to give it a try. Well, we animals don't do so well on our own, but I can see how families of humans would really enjoy sleeping in the wilderness. Even if it's in your backyard, <laughs> you don't have to go out into the wilderness. Uh -uh. And even if it's just for an hour or two at night, make a little fire and some s'mores. Perhaps not in our case. <laughs> we... There's something about sleeping out under the stars, being out at nighttime in God's nature where you hear the crickets and you listen for the birds and sounds of night. Uh, but of course, Uncle Lanelou taught Patrick so much more than campfires and sleeping under the stars. Uh, what's your take on old Lanelou, Miss Jenny? I love the kind of burly ruggedness of Uncle Lanelou. And so one of the things that was real special to me in the interchange that Langley was teaching Patrick was being comfortable in who you are and not putting on false pretense. And I especially love these words. Langley says, It's important to be comfortable in your own skin. If you're confident about what you believe and think, men will care more about what you have to say than what you wear but learn to appreciate the opinions and ways of others. You don't have to agree with them, but always hear them out. Earn their respect by trying to understand them. Then you'll earn the right to be heard, but be ready to back up why you believe the words you speak. And I think so much today we've lost the ability and the respect for others to just listen Listen to what people have to say as they freely express their opinions, which is our First Amendment right. You don't have to agree with them. There's going to be many people that you disagree with. And like Langley was talking about, the Indians, they had a different view for how we should cultivate the land. But we learned so many things from Native American Indians, and they learned from us. It's a give and take to learn from our fellow men and not rush to judgment and blow them off, and disregard their opinions. But if you respect others and listen to others, you will earn their respect and the right to be heard. I say, wise words indeed. And so needed in today's culture. Uh, merci, Miss Jenny. 
Well then, let's check in with Base Command and find out what be happening next time around. Uh, Base Command, come in, Base Command. Do you read me? Well, no, I don't. But I do read Jenny L. Cody, and in her next chapter, and our next episode, Liz thinks she's back in ancient Rome. Why, she must be dreaming. But what is she dreaming about? We'll all wake her and find out next time. See you then. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.